0: she begged Ferdinand to bring her back to Spain so she could join a convent. In the spring of 1509, weeks before Prince Henry's 18th birthday, and shortly after Catherine's dowry had at last arrived from Spain, Henry VII died at Richmond Palace, a royal residence on the Thames upstream from Westminster. Although the king's health had been in decline for several years, his demise came as a surprise. He was little mourned. Quickly forgetting the strong, dedicated monarch who had made England respected and wealthy, people remembered only the obsessive, reclusive tyrant of the previous several years. Nonetheless, his burial in St. Paul's was lavish. The black funeral chariot was attended by seven torchbearers and fourteen hundred formal mourners, led by Prince Henry. The king was laid to rest beside his queen in the Westminster Abbey Chapel that bears his name. In the wake of his father's death, Henry VIII reversed himself and agreed to marry Catherine as his father had urged him on his deathbed. He was already thinking like a king. He needed a queen, and Catherine would assure a continued alliance with Spain. His father's instructions had also included defending the church. Interpreting that liberally, Henry dreamed of invading France and reasoned that it would be helpful to have the support of Spain in that cause. Ferdinand II encouraged Henry to marry his daughter immediately. At twenty-three, Catherine was well beyond a marriageable age, and Ferdinand knew that she welcomed the match. If Henry and Catherine were not in love, they were nevertheless well-matched for their times and circumstances. Henry and Catherine were married in a small ceremony in Greenwich on June 11, 1509, with William Warham, the Archbishop of Canterbury, presiding. Warham, a pragmatic man, had to set aside his earlier reservations about the propriety of Henry marrying his brother's widow. Before he became Archbishop, Warham, also an Oxford educated lawyer, had served as a diplomat for Henry VII and had arranged Catherine's marriage to Arthur. Like many in the Tudor court, Warham would struggle with conflicting loyalties. But on this day he supported Henry and Catherine, whose vows, according to Tudor historian Alison Weir, included the promise to be bon air and buxom, gentle and compliant, in bed and at board. Two weeks later the couple celebrated their coronation in Westminster Abbey. Following tradition they spent the previous night in the Tower of London. By now the Tower had been displaced as the principal royal residence and was in disrepair, damp and malodorous, with a moat that had become a garbage dump. But Henry had ordered the royal quarters renovated for the occasion. The people of London rejoiced on coronation day as the royal procession wound through the narrow streets of the walled city, with its skyline formed by the spires of eighty churches. Henry, carried by barons in a canopied litter, was attired in a cloth of gold doublet studded with jewels— and a crimson velvet robe trimmed in ermine, with a baldric of rubies slung across his shoulders. Catherine, wearing white satin and ermine, followed in a litter hung with white silk and golden ribbons. Her ladies, in blue velvet, rode behind her on white palfreys. Henry and Catherine made a splendid royal couple. As Thomas More described the monarch, "'Among a thousand noble companions, the king stands out tallest, and his strength fits his body.' There is fiery power in his eyes, beauty in his face, and the colour of twin roses on his cheeks. Catherine, in the full bloom of her beauty, matched and quite possibly exceeded the king in intellect. Erasmus called her a better scholar than Henry, miraculously learned for a woman, and a brilliant example of her sex. Years of adversity had taught her patience and discretion, She always smiled, but beneath her graciousness was a tenacious and resolute will. Deeply pious, Catherine spent hours at her daily prayers, and fasted so strictly and often that the Spanish ambassador speculated that it may have hindered her ability to have children. Because the king was not quite eighteen years old, his grandmother, the frail but still formidable Margaret Beaufort, acted as regent for the first weeks of his reign. As rich and powerful as ever, she combined a love of books and learning with shrewd political instincts. Now also an ascetic, she wore a hair shirt, or cillis beneath her black gowns. But her regency seems to have been welcome, coinciding with a period of bliss for the royal couple. Catherine described their early married life as continual feasting, as the historian Albert Frederick Pollard